Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. We're going to do something a little different tonight. I don't remember the last time. I don't know when the last time was, but we're going to celebrate communion tonight. It's going to be, I hope that it's special and I hope that we can unpack the idea of communion a little bit so that it has a deep value before we get to it. We are in the last seven days of Jesus' life. Last week we talked about Jesus riding in on the donkey. So from donkey to death, seven days. And a lot happens in those days in the week that Jesus was in Jerusalem. Uh, One of the turning points is Judas goes to the priests and says, if you're looking for an opportunity, I'll be your guy. I'll turn him in. I just want... I just just pay me well, right? Then Jesus has, similar to the donkey, remember with the donkey, he says, hey guys, go in, you're going to see a, a colt tied up, loose it, if anybody asks about it, tell them that the Lord needs it. Similar to that, Jesus says, hey guys, I want you to go into the city, you're going to find a guy with a pitcher of water, follow him wherever he goes, and when he gets there, walk in and say, hey, the Lord needs a furnished room to celebrate the Passover, and they're going to give it to us. So Jesus has this word of knowledge, which is kind of cool. They get together. They celebrate the Last Supper. We call it the Last Supper with his disciples. It is at that time that Jesus says, I'm going to be betrayed by one of you. One of you guys that has your hand on the table. And they all went, (laughs) no. And we know the story, right? Judas goes out into the dark. He returns to the priests. Later, Jesus takes the disciples and they go up on the Mount of Olives where Jesus spends time in prayer and he asks the, the disciples, please just pray. Pray with me for just a little while. And what happens? While he's praying, what happens? They, they fall asleep. Man, that's embarrassing. And Jesus is praying so fervently. He is in the last 24 hours of his life. And the weight of the cross and the torture and the idea of all of the sin that we have had will be placed on his shoulders. This is in front of him. And the agony and the weight of looking towards that, his capillaries in his pores burst and he begins sweating blood. The Bible says that Jesus said, Lord, Father, if there's another way, but not my will, your will be done. And Luke says that an angel came and ministered to him and encouraged him. That's kind of cool. Then, marching into the night with torches, come the people to arrest Jesus, led by Judas, who would betray Jesus, would point him out. Here's the guy that you're supposed to arrest by walking up and giving him a kiss. Betrayal by a kiss. Peter gets all like worked up and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. Jesus is like, Peter, calm yourself, calm yourself. Picks up the guy's ear, puts it back on. And they lead Jesus to his trial. And in the dark, behind the procession, Peter is following close enough to listen. They put Jesus on trial. This guy is on trial for blasphemy. He's been going around saying he's God. 
Peter's listening in. I, I, I really don't blame Peter. He's listening and he's close enough that he can pay attention to what's going on. And he's sitting around the fire and it's cold out. And then someone goes, you, I remember you. You're with that guy in there. Guys, guys, it's, it's, he's one of the Galileans with Jesus. And Peter's like, shh, are you kidding? Quiet. I don't know that guy. Calm yourself. Three times Peter denies that he ever knew Jesus. And at the third time, the Bible says that the rooster crowed that morning as Jesus predicted. And Jesus glanced from where he was on trial and locked eyes with Peter. And it says Peter wept. He went out into the dark and wept because he knew he betrayed the one he loved most. This is all happening in this little tiny space of Luke chapter 22. Imagine watching a football game. Your team is losing. You're like, no, what does it matter? And suddenly the game turns. There's this beautiful interception and your team begins taking the, the ball down the field, crossing the 50, the 40, the 30. And you're like, oh, it's, he's going to make it. He's going to make it. He's going to make it. He hits the touchdown and all, everyone goes nuts and, and popcorn is flying. And, and you're like absolutely psyched out of your mind. The game has turned. Everything has changed because of this, ac this action. Now, the action may be over, the run may be finished, the guy may be on the sidelines, but what he did is still valid and meaningful because it's logged where? On the scoreboard. Long after the event is over, it still has value, it still has purpose, because up there, it makes all the difference. Whenever we look at communion tonight, I want to paint the picture that Jesus, who is stuck in 30 AD in history, that that event is still functioning as valid as the turning point in the cosmic game, the cosmic battle for your life and my life and our future. And what Jesus does is going to be logged on the scoreboard, tattooed on our hearts, and it's through the worship of communion. We can always look back to the touchdown that Jesus made that won the game, that turned the day. And it's through this picture that we look back and remember and it carries validity. There are many forms of worship. There's worship through music and art and, and there's so many different things. And there's music I, I, or there's worship in just taking a walk and being in nature and seeing all that God has done. There's worship in having a healthy confrontation with somebody, honoring God and honoring them. There's worship in being obedient to what Jesus called us to do. There's worship in that. One of the most beautiful forms of worship is the worship that Jesus gave us on that last night at his last supper. It's powerful. And it is that scoreboard tattooed on our hearts. So let's look. Luke 22 we're starting verse 14. It says this. When the hour had come, he sat down with the 12 apostles with him. And he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 
And he took bread and he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Powerful. So let me see. I can't do that math. 600 years before this was the first Passover. Jesus and his disciples are celebrating Passover, kind of like, I don't know, their version of Christmas. It's a celebration every year they get all excited about. 600 years before, Moses would be called by God to go and set the Israelites free from the Egyptians. Y'all remember this story? Powerful, powerful story. For a long season, God is bringing plague after plague on Egypt. And every time Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no. And God says, boom, another plague, wham. And he hits him with something else. Plague after plague after plague. And finally, after this show of power from God, he brings the last plague. The straw that's going to break Pharaoh's back. And God tells Moses, go throughout all the Hebrews and tell them this, tonight I will go through the land and I will take the lives of the firstborn of all of Egypt. Unless those who are obedient to me, tell all your Hebrew brothers and sisters, tell everybody that if they will go and sacrifice a lamb and take that lamb's blood and paint it over the doorposts of their home. And as the angel of death comes through Egypt, you will see that blood over the door and know that you are under my covering and the angel will pass over that house. And so they did it. They sacrificed a spotless lamb. They put the blood over the door and the, and the family sat down to a meal to eat the meat of that lamb. Can you imagine as it got dark and that event began to take place, the wailing, the broken hearts, the mothers, can you imagine the pain crying out through Egypt of all those that didn't obey God? I mean, devastating this country. But God's people who were obedient to him were safe because the angel of death passed over the home of those with the blood on their doorposts, the blood from that spotless lamb. And tonight, Jesus and his apostles are sitting down to dinner and they are remembering that event. See, God was going to take them out of Egypt. He did. And that night, Pharaoh called in Moses and said, get out. Get out of my country. Take you, take your people, get out of here. And the Israelites left. And you remember the story that happened at the Red Sea that God parted it and God brought them to the mountain, Mount Sinai, where God's presence would rest on the mountain and speak to Moses and the people. And it was at that mountain that God would write the covenant with Moses in blood. Man, I'm, I'm not sure. Okay, yeah, Exodus 24. Let's go ahead and look at it real quick because I don't want to miss anything. Exodus 24. So Moses came and he told the people all the words that the Lord and all of the judgments 
all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answer with one voice, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, Mount Sinai, and 12 pillars, according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you according to all these words. God made a covenant with his people. In short, it's the covenant that says, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's it. I will be yours and you will be mine and you'll be obedient and I will cleanse your sins. And they did the sacrificial system of, of, of killing ox and, and lambs and pigeons and sacrifices. And it was bloody and it was grotesque and awful. And it's because people were supposed to bring this animal and they would see it as a substitute. This animal's death is what God is accepting in place of my sins. You see our sins owe us death. And so God would say, bring this animal and I will substitute this animal for the death that you deserve. And the sacrificial system worked for a long time. And it began at the Passover in that first covenant with Moses. And tonight they're celebrating that. You see, Jesus, we know now in hindsight, Jesus is our Passover lamb, that his blood will be on the doorposts of our hearts that he is the one that died as our substitute. Like we're, we're figuring this out, right? Like you guys are like, yes, I'm totally following you right now. Okay. Nobody nodded their heads over here. Is anybody following me over here? Awesome. I'm gonna give it, yes. Y'all with me? Okay. So three things I want to point out about communion that I don't want you to miss. The first one is this communion is an outward sign of God's invisible work in us. Here, Dom's translation God is touching our dimension at communion. Something powerful is happening here. Something is going on in our hearts. Something amazing and cosmic and spiritual is overlapping with where we are because of our obedience. It is an outward sign of God's invisible work in us. Jeremiah 31. This is so cool. You ready? Because later, after they've been doing the sacrificial system for such a long time, God would prophesy through Jeremiah that a Messiah was coming. Let's check this out. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Okay, the old covenant was Moses' covenant, sprinkled by blood. The blood splattered on the people. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel in those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they know all shall know of me for they all shall know me. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest says the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. A new covenant is coming. 
So we take communion very seriously. Do you remember what Jesus says when he holds up the cup? He says this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. You see, there, there's something that's been working up to this, that's been growing and building up to this. And all of a sudden, Jesus points to the very peak of what he's doing. He's saying that covenant that was prophesied, here it is. And you know what? It's not going to be the blood of lambs anymore or ox or pigeons. It's going to be mine. It's going to be one time forever because it's the perfect lamb of God. Point number two, communion unites the body of Christ across the whole world, across all of time, that table where Jesus was sitting with his disciples, that table in some sort of crazy way stretches all the way through history to us and beyond us. We are sharing and experiencing the last supper with those disciples. We were remembering what happened. No matter what language you speak, what denomination of church you are, what country you live in, this unites all of God's people. We all celebrate what Jesus did through communion. All the way throughout time. And you know what? That table keeps stretching all the way into heaven because, don't forget, Jesus says this crazy thing. I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then fast forward. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Because the climax of this whole communion supper is, it, its pinnacle is in heaven where we'll have the wedding feast with the Lamb of God. We're all partying and eating around the table. From Jesus to eternity, we are all participating in the same time with the church across the globe, everywhere. Point number three, communion communicates the story of the gospel of Jesus. The bread is the body of Jesus that was broken at the cross. The sacrificial lamb that was the substitute for sin, for my sin and yours. The blood is that covenant that God was talking about, that covenant that says, I love you so much that anyone who believes in Jesus will not die, but have everlasting life. It's the covenant where God says, I will make you mine and I will be yours. It's the covenant that says, God, I give you my whole life. And God says, I give you mine. That is the covenant. And it's sealed in blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. He sanctifies us. He makes us holy. Sanctify means that he holifies us. He makes us holy. Here's an interesting question, and you're going to hear this, I promise. But why do you have to be a Christian to be righteous? Why do you have to follow Jesus to be a good person? Because you can't. You see, the reason that Passover is so important is Jesus doesn't just cleanse us of our sin. He changes our identity so that sin isn't all that we can do anymore. Did that make sense? Yeah, okay. When you're a sinner, you sin. 
That is, that's your, that's your world. Everything you do is out of selfish motivation and you're not going to worry about who you step over or step on to get there. A sinner is going to sin, but a daughter or a son of God is going to serve the father. God changes our identity from being a slave to sin to being a son or a daughter in his house. When our identity is changed, we no longer have to sin. Yeah, we have the Holy Spirit living in us that we can say no. Uh, there is this Christian bookstore in Tulsa when we lived there, and it had sliders just like these. And I pro- when you put your feet together, it, this, was, this was an attempt at a spiritual meaning. It said sinner across the top of the shoes. And it was like, I, I wanted to like buy all the pairs and burn them. Because Jesus gave his life. He was tortured. He took everything so that I don't have to be labeled a sinner anymore. What a slap in the face to the one who gave it all to say that it didn't work. Our names are changed. Our very nature, who we are, died. Baptism, it dies. And through the Holy Spirit, we are born again. A new person, no longer a sinner, no longer a slave. Remember the Passover? We were set free from Pharaoh's slavery. We were set free from sin. And we get to march with our chin up. And we get to enter the Holy of Holies, not by our own merits, but because of what Jesus did in us. Our identity is changed because of what Jesus did. And so how can we live to be righteous or to be good when our very nature is evil? You see, first, there has to be repentance. We have to go before God and say, God, I turn my life from me and I choose to follow you. And then at that repentance, that choosing of Jesus Christ, we enter in that covenant with him and he can sanctify us. And it's out of that that we can do good, that we can have a nature of righteousness that is sanctified before him. And the only response after that is to worship our king of kings, the spotless lamb that gave it all, the father that loves us so much. It never begins with just being good. It begins with repentance and then sanctification and then worship. So we're going to celebrate communion tonight. I want you to remember those three things. It's an outward sign of what God's doing on the inside. It connects all of us as brothers and sisters of Christ. And it tells the story of God's salvation in your life and in mine. There's a sweet little old lady, never married. But she always carried around a black and white photo of a boyfriend that she had when she was young. And she loved that loved her and who had died prematurely. And she never married again or never married. And she carried that picture until the day she died. There was something about that. There was something about looking at that picture that was, she was reminded of the scorecard that said, someone loved me. There was a time when I was fully loved for who I am. How beautiful of a picture that we can escalate that story to looking at Jesus who is alive, who paid the price. And instead of a black and white photo that's 
worn by years. We get to look at a pitcher of bread and grape juice that brings us back in the same way she looks at that pitcher and is reminded and cherishes those feelings, those feelings that never age. We can look at this pitcher and participate and cherish what Jesus did in us when we were loved so fully. We're going to take communion together. It's going to be a little bit different than what you're used to. We're going to have three different stations up here. One of the two leaders is going to be holding bread and the other is going to be holding a cup of grape juice. And so as the music plays and stuff, and I'm going to pray and just get in the aisle, come on down and you're going to, you're going to rip off a little piece of bread and dip it in the juice to eat it. And this is going to be our, our style of doing communion tonight. And so if you guys, you guys can come on down leaders. Thank you for doing this. Y'all can come on down. And so I want to pray and then just come as you feel led. If this is in any way uncomfortable to you, it's okay. You don't have to. Just stay where you're at. Please be reverent. This is very special. This is very beautiful. So if you're uncomfortable, it's okay. Just stay where you're at. Uh, just please be respectful of those people that are, that are celebrating and worshiping through this beautiful picture of what Jesus did. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your presence tonight. Thank you for an opportunity to worship in a different way, a way that so beautifully magnifies you and what you did in us. Thank you for writing that new covenant on our hearts and sealing it with your blood. Thank you that it covers all of my sin now and everyone that I'll ever commit. All it takes is my surrendering to you and asking forgiveness. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Paul warns us that we take communion in a way that's worthy. That we don't come up here with hearts that are distracted or, or maybe full of bitterness. And so just take a minute right now, just 30 seconds, and I want you to do some soul searching. What is in you that you haven't asked forgiveness for? Who is someone that you've been bitter against? Take a moment and ask for forgiveness for those things. Repent for those things. I'll pray again and then I'll invite you to come on down.
And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Heavenly Father, it's not about the bread or the grape juice, Lord. I pray that you're preparing hearts. Cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. Thank you for all that you did for us. Thank you, Lord, that we get to celebrate in this picture of your love. You're the King of Kings, and you're the God of Elevate. In Jesus' name.